morning. Well, many years ago, almost 25, I was in Albania visiting a young Albanian man named Gregor Menga, who was starting a church in his parents' home. And uh, he took me up in the mountains of Albania to visit a family whose children had come to a children's meeting that the church had done up there. And mountain families in Albania are very hardy folk. And it happened that this man had suffered under communism because of his Catholic faith. And after exchanging some pleasantries and his learning that I was a a non-Catholic pastor from America, the man leaned forward and he said this to me. He said, let me tell you the difference between you people and us. He he didn't have a word for um, Protestants in Albanian at that point. And uh, he said, let me tell you the difference between you and us Catholics. We believe in Mary and the saints, and you don't. Now, this man had suffered for his faith under communism. And under communism, the cathedral in the city of Skoder there had been turned, where Gregor was, had been turned into a basketball court. Religion had been entirely suppressed, and the priests had been put in prison. And all this man knew was that he wasn't real excited about having some religion he'd never heard of coming into his country. And uh, while what he said was technically wrong, we do believe in Mary and the saints, he was in a practical sense right. The the place that is given to Mary and the saints in uh, traditional Catholic thinking is very different from those who are not Catholic. In fact, it's probably one of the most obvious differences that even people who have little understanding of the differences among different Christian groups, that they're, they're aware of this. You know, it's interesting in the Bible that Mary, the mother of Jesus, shows up so few times. Her name is used about 20 times in the Gospels, and almost all of those are clustered up in the beginning of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where it describes the birth narrative. And uh, she's used once. Her name's used once outside of the Gospels in the book of Acts, the first chapter. After that, it never occurs again. And I don't say that because it makes her unimportant. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find that there's a person named Melchizedek who's mentioned in two verses in the Old Testament. Yet when you come to the New Testament, a whole chapter is given over to explaining the incredible significance of this person who showed up only twice. So the scantiness of information that we're given about Mary doesn't really tell us anything about her importance, but what it tells us is that we really have to comb through the little information that we have to try to understand what place we should give to her. Now, let's just review briefly about what place Mary is given in different faith traditions. You may be aware of some of this, you may not. Among what are really Eastern Catholics, or what we call Eastern Orthodox, those in the Eastern part of the Roman Empire who divided from Roman Catholicism eventually, among the Eastern Orthodox, she's given a very special title. She's called the Theotokos. And that word is a Greek word that means the God-bearer. It refers to the fact that she carried God in her womb. And so she's usually called, is translated, the mother of God. That title is used among Western Catholics that are called Roman Catholic. It's used, but less often among them, she's usually called the Blessed Mother or the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
On the other hand, among non-Catholics, she's generally called by titles that are used in the Bible. She's either called the Virgin Mary or Mary, the mother of Jesus. More important, you might say, than her role, or excuse me, than her uh, title, is her character. And we could easily get into deep weeds on this quickly, but let me just, uh, let me just kind of broadly explain about her character. On one hand, both Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholics regard her as being a person, a human being, who is completely unique among all human beings who have ever lived. She is both without sin, she was born without sin and never sinned, they would say, and in addition to that, she's in a completely different category than any other human being who has ever lived. And on the other hand, non-Catholics regard her as one exemplary believer whom the Bible sets forth among many. She would be similar to Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, people like this in the Old Testament, who in very great ways obeyed God in the midst of difficulties. Now, it's because of those different understandings, not only of her title, but of her role, that Catholics especially give to her some other titles. She's called the Advocate and the Helper, titles used in Scripture to refer to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. She's also called, uh, by Roman Catholics, uh, the Mediatrix. That is, she's a female mediator between God and human beings, the title mediator being used only of Jesus in that way in the New Testament. So you have to ask the question, which one is it? Is she, as Catholics view her, a unique, uh, semi-divine human being who can be called upon for grace and help when you're in need? Or is she held up as an example of a faithful believer? Well, Jesus seems to speak directly to that in this passage, and I'd like to draw your attention to it. This passage, which is very brief, occurs in the midst of passages that we've been thinking about over the last few weeks. It happens that they all flow out of an experience in which Jesus healed a a man. He actually cast out a demon. And a number of things flow out of that, this being one. And it says, as he was saying these things, referring to the previous passage, a woman in in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts of which you nursed. Now those words seem a little bit odd to us because we don't speak in vivid word pictures the way people do in Middle Eastern countries. Um, This sentence actually involves an identifiable figure of speech that's very common. Undoubtedly, you've heard of this many times. It's called a synecdoche. (laughs) How many have heard of a synecdoche? (laughs) Okay, a synecdoche is a figure of speech That's very common in all languages, but it's where you refer to the part of something, but you really mean the whole. Let me give you an example from English. If I'm working on my car and and I say to you, give me a hand, I don't mean for you to take your hand off and put it in my hand like I said, give me a wrench. I mean for you to bring your whole person over, and I refer to your hand, even though I mean your whole person, because your hand represents your physical dexterity, your physical ability, and that's what I need right at this moment. So I say, give me a hand. That's a synecdoche of the part for the whole. And that's all that this woman uses here, although she does it twice. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you is referring to a part of the female, two parts of the female anatomy that are very representative. They represent a woman's ability 
to conceive, carry, bear, birth, and nurture a child. And what he's referring to there is Jesus' mother. In fact, if you're using the New International Version, they uh, do away with the word picture, and they actually trans- uh, they, um, interpret it for you. And uh, It says, blessed is your mother who bore you and nursed you. And that is what the sentence means. The woman does it in a picturesque way, but um, what she is saying essentially is a father or a mother is reflected to some degree in some way in the accomplishments of their children. We know that a person shouldn't find our fundamental self-worth in our children, that that's not healthy. At the same time, it is possible for a parent to feel pride in the accomplishment of children without identifying their own value with that. And it seems to me it would be impossible to erase that. It's essential to human nature, that ability to do that. And this woman was simply saying to Jesus, look at you, look at your miracles, your wisdom, your teaching. Your mother is blessed to have such a son as you. Now, everything I've said up to this point is really just the setting for Jesus' words. That's what we're supposed to look at and think about. It's his response that matters. And Jesus responds to her in verse 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, when you read those words, you might think, as I thought, that he's correcting the woman. After all, it says, but, blessed rather, you might think he's correcting the woman's statement. In fact, students of the Bible have often noticed that in Jesus' conversations with his mother in the Bible, which are very few and very brief, in those conversations, there's almost always a slight sense of distancing himself from her. That is odd. Let me give an example. In the Gospel of John in chapter 2, we we read of Jesus' first miracle that he performed. Before he started his public ministry, he and his mother and his few disciples went to a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. They were running out of wine. And his mother says to him, do something about this. She expects him to act in some way. And what Jesus says to her in John chapter 2 is, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, when we read those words, it comes through in English as being almost rude. We, we use the word woman, not in a, in a polite sense. NIV translates it, dear woman, but that's not exactly what it says, and that's a little too sentimental for the words that he's using there in the sentence that follows. It probably is closest, if you can think of this, to a child growing up in the South where they are still taught to call their mother ma'am. It's that kind of word. It's interesting, on the way out of church after the first service, a woman who was born in Iraq mentioned to me that in her family, her uncles will refer to their wives or the wives of others as woman in conversation. So it's the same thing. It's not thought to be rude. It's sort of polite, but it's a distancing sense. Jesus does the same thing on the cross. He uh, there says to his mother about John the apostle who was present at the cross, says to his mother, woman, behold your son. And says to John, behold your mother, as he gave his mother into the care of one of the disciples. So that's true throughout the Gospels. There's this slight sense of distancing, and interpreters have often noted that it seems that Jesus 
as his life and ministry unfolded, in his human nature was becoming aware of his messianic mission. That is, he was becoming aware that his mission was to die in the place of sinners, that the cross was going to be his destiny. And as that developed, his sense of his earthly family faded in significance. And in the Gospels, there's a purposeful, though slight and respectful, distancing of himself from his family that he might become the source of the people of God and the Savior of the world. So you might think when you read that that he's doing that here, and that's probably true. But you might have this sense that he's correcting the woman. The woman says, blessed is your mother, and he's saying, not so fast. That's what I thought until I did some spade work. And what I uncovered was really interesting. It's this word in verse 28, rather. That word is a word that in Greek is very interesting. It can be used in different places in a sentence, and it can carry different meanings depending on the context. The word could mean exactly what I initially thought. Jesus could be correcting the woman. It could mean on the contrary, as though he were saying, no, my mother is not blessed, as you are saying. On the contrary, those who hear God's word and keep it, those people are blessed. However, if you stop and think, it's very doubtful that he would be correcting the woman for one simple reason. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke has already affirmed twice in very clear terms that Mary is blessed. In fact, uh, in the first chapter, when her aunt comes to visit her, her aunt, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, knows that her teenage niece is, about, is pregnant with the Messiah. She says to her, blessed are you among women. There's no correcting of that statement in the passage. And just a few verses later, Mary sings a song that is worthy of the Psalms, being counted among the Psalms, and it it is. If you grew up Catholic or Anglican, you would have sung the Magnificat. And one of the things Mary says is, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Luke has already affirmed that this woman is blessed in some considerable ways. It's doubtful that Jesus is just correcting that. Now, in some contexts, it's interesting, this word could carry the idea of the exact opposite. It could mean, yes, that's exactly right. It doesn't seem to in this sentence, but it also doesn't appear that he's, he's affirming that because he goes on and he adds another sentence, blessed are those who hear the word in God, of God and keep it, like he's adding something. And that's really the third idea that this word can carry and what it probably is here. It's where you're affirming something, but you're adding to it. Like he's saying, yes, what you're saying is true. My mother is blessed, but that's not exhaustive. What God wants you to know is that every person is blessed who obeys God. That's undoubtedly what he's saying here. Jesus isn't denying the woman's statement. He's not correcting it. He's affirming it. Yes, my mother is blessed. But he points out that his mother's blessing is shared by all who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, what he's saying is this. As blessed as Mary is because she was chosen by the sovereign grace of God the Father to become pregnant with the Messiah, to bear the Messiah, her blessing is only an example a superlative example, but an example of a person who hears God's word and obeys it. I mean, remember what she said when she was told by the angel Gabriel that she would bear the Messiah? Let it be to me according to your word. That took profound faith. And she's held up as a shining example 
of a human being who chose to obey God when called to follow him. She's not presented in the Bible as more than, than a human. She's not presented as being sinful. She's not presented as, when, when Elizabeth says, full of grace, as though grace is a substance that she could bear, hold on to more than she needed, and then she could give it out to people. The Bible doesn't view grace as a substance. Grace is the favor of God. So those things aren't true, but her faithfulness was profound. It was a great example of faithfulness to God's word, and she's held up in that way. In other words, Mary is blessed in the same way that you are blessed if you listen to God's word and put it into practice. There's a famous statement in the psalm, Psalm 119, verse 105. The psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's pictured like a small flashlight. And you can only see as you're walking through a pitch black night in a forest on a small pathway, you can only see a few steps in front of you with the use of this flashlight, but without it, you can't see anything. And that darkness is such an apt picture of life in the present world. As we make our pilgrimage through this world from our birth to our death at the present time, the challenges of life seem to be enormous. And the light that society pretends to give us is like a a flickering lamp with a damp wick that can't really get you anywhere. The world situation in which we live seems so uh, fragile. There there are so many places in the world right now that are like a powder keg that it seems like it's only going to take a spark and something of worldwide significance is going to blow up. And um, the modern world has brought to us so many choices about lifestyle, about direction, and it seems like those choices are both endless and they're contradictory to one another. And how do we know which ones to make? And marriage... And child-rearing have always been difficult at every point in the past, but it seems that it's filled with difficulties now, and the path is not clear. But God says that his word provides us the illumination that we need, not to show us the rest of our lives and everything that we need to do, but it's a light to our path, like a lamp that shows us the next steps that we should take as we move through this dark world. And to let that light shine on our way, what Jesus says is you have to do two things. You have to hear the word of God, and you have to keep it or put it into practice. You have to hear it and then put it into practice. So the question is, what is your obstacle this morning? What is your question? What is it that you are struggling with in your life? Are you struggling with a moral choice that God is speaking to you about? Are you afraid that if you make that choice, you may need to alter a relationship that you have or break it off? Well, Jesus' word is, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or is it a broken relationship that God is asking you to move into and seek reconciliation? Are you afraid that if you do so, it will be too hard? You won't be able to face either the rejection or the recriminations that come your way. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or you might, as parents do today, feel an extraordinary fear seeing your children grow up and have to make choices 
And perhaps some of those are choices that you made wrongly in the past, and you don't want to see your children repeat that. And for some parents, that makes them hold their children too tightly Rather than recognizing that as children grow through life, you have great responsibility to guide them and instruct them, but there comes a point, and that point increases as they age, where they have to begin to make their own choices, and they have to face the blessing or the consequences that follow. You have to trust God with your children. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Whatever it is you're facing, we are given numerous examples of people in Scripture who heard God's word, and it may have come to them as a very difficult thing to do, like Abraham sacrificing Isaac, or like Mary as a teenage girl being told that she was going to bear a child out of wedlock and face the shame that that would bring upon her. And as difficult as it might have been for them in those situations, they obeyed God with steadfast faith. And like Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is by Jesus' own acknowledgement, blessed. She was the one who carried the Messiah. But she's blessed because she heard God's word and she put it into practice. And God's word to you is seek to be like her in your own life. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, again, as we bow before you, we thank you that your word tells us things that we need to know. We want to give to those in the Bible the place that you give to them, and we want to give to you the place that the Word of God gives to you. So we ask that you would allow us to see, as Jesus encouraged, Mary as a superlative example of obedience to you. And let it be for us a a spur that spurs us on to seek to do the same thing in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.